and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Malin, and I'm so excited to be here with you. Happy almost Halloween. We've been in the Halloween spirit for a few weeks now and have had lots of candy and candy corn in the office to celebrate. So on today's episode, we're going to be sharing some spooky quilting stories. Some of these are so frightful, you may need to listen with the lights on. (laughs) We'll also share tips for what to do when your fabric bleeds, how to work with fabric panels, and some tips for hand quilting. And on this week's Getting Social, we chat with Andrea of Third Story Workshop. It's a conversation you don't want to miss. So let's dive in. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and here is my frightful story. Earlier this year, I participated in the Quilt Some More Quilt Along to make the color outside the lines quilt. I decided to make it as a Mother's Day gift for my mother, who has never received a larger throw quilt from me, only smaller wall hangings. My mother is a particular person, and I mean that in the best way possible. Love you, Mom. (laughs) So I knew the color of the quilt was very important to her. She wanted it to match her living room, which has very specific blue and green shades. When I was home for Christmas, we spent time mocking up the quilt design in a design program so we could plan the color placement of the quilt. And then when I was home for Easter, I brought a huge tote of fabrics to her to look through. We held the fabrics up to the walls and curtains and furniture to make sure it was the exact shade we needed. And I even had to purchase some extra fabric in a few colors that just weren't quite right. After months and months of planning, I finally got around to piecing the quilt. The quilt had a scrappy cream background with blue, green, brown, and lime green blocks. I backed and binded the quilt with a dark blue print. It was perfect, exactly what my mom wanted, and I was so excited to surprise her with the gift. I always wash my quilts before I gift them, so the night before I was to see her, I threw it in the wash with two color catchers, which is my standard way to do it. As I took the quilt out of the washing machine, I saw that about half of the quilt was dyed blue. The blue backing fabric had transferred to the cream background on half the quilt to turn the cream into a really gross gray color. I was completely shocked. (laughs) For years and years, I'd washed quilts of all colors with no trouble. And now the one quilt I made where the colors and fabrics were so painstakingly chosen was the one where the dye had bled. I threw the quilt immediately back into the wash and even with even more color catchers, but the dye was still running. I did it one more time with no luck. At this point, it was 2 a.m. before the day I was seeing my mom, so in a last-ditch effort, I smeared the cream background with a stain stick and went to bed praying that it would do the trick. One more wash the next morning and the color catchers were still coming out bright blue, and the background, while a little less gray than before, was still so noticeable to me. I gave the gift to my mom, who told me she didn't care about the bleeding and wouldn't have noticed if I didn't say anything. I don't know if she's lying or not, but mom, if you're listening, you're amazing. (laughs) But it was so disappointing to work so hard on a quilt and not have it be what the recipient really wanted and what had been planned for. The quilt is now sitting on my mom's couch. I sent it home with her with promises not to wash it again unless absolutely necessary. But the worst part of this whole story is that the backing fabric I used was leftover from fabric I bought to back another project. 
The project is the Splendid Sampler, which uh, some of you may know is a 100-block sampler quilt that I worked on for years and paid a very hefty amount to get custom quilted. I haven't washed it yet because it's been a display quilt and not one we've used too much, but now I know that I can never wash it and can never put it on our bed as intended because I don't want to ruin years of hard work. Hi, I'm Jody Sanders with American Patchwork and Quilting, and my spooky story with quilting is that I pieced a quilt top uh, with traditional cotton, and then I took that and the batting and the backing, which was flannel, to my machine quilter and had them quilt it, uh, came home, put the binding on it, putting it in the washing machine and dried it. And what I didn't mention at the beginning of this tale is that I'm not a pre-washer. So when that came out of the dryer, the binding was already on it and things did not shrink at the same rate. And so my quilt ended up being not as flat as I would have liked it to have been. Um, it still was fine. It's a cuddly quilt. It has flannel on the back. The recipient didn't notice and appreciated having the quilt. But in the future, I learned that um, even if I'm not pre-washing my fabrics, that um, I probably should, number one. And number two, particularly if you're going to use a backing that's a different kind of fabric than what you're using on the front, uh, it would be a good idea to pre-wash so that you do have that even shrinkage. My name is Doris Brunette. I am the editor of Quilt Sampler magazine. Uh, Lindsay asked me to share a nightmare quilting story. I think every quilter has some, and the longer you've sewed, the more you have. So I have several I could have shared. But probably the worst one it always sticks out in my mind and um, definitely changed a practice that I make sure I do to this day. But it was probably about 10 years ago. I had made a quilt. Um, it had a white background and all kinds of rainbow colors on it. Lots of very scrappy quilt. And then I pieced it with a good quality quilt shop <laughs> quality fabric from a major manufacturer, but it was a fuchsia colored fabric. And um, when I washed it, it bled really bad. And I used to be a pre-washer and I don't know if I had pre-washed that fabric or not. I think I probably had um, just because of the amount of bleed that happened with it and continued to happen with that quilt. I threw it in and I didn't even think about it and I took it out and it was pink. The entire quilt was pink and it was like majorly pink. <laughs> so um, that was when I was introduced to Shout Color Catchers, and I'm a firm believer of them to this day. I even use them in, when doing my laundry, not just washing my quilts, but it took several washes. I think I had at least six cycles with multiple color catchers in them to get it so I completely got it back, and there's still parts where I can see it. I personally can look at it and see where there's tinges of pink, but probably somebody else looking at it now wouldn't be able to see it. But I was heartbroken when it came out, and I, I don't even know how many, yeah, at least six, six cycles through the washing machine, and that's a lot of water and a lot of time. So I was really glad that I got it as clean as I did. But always remember to either pre-wash your dark fabrics when you're putting it with a white or a very light fabric, or make sure you use color catchers. So, and not, not just on the first wash, but continuing washes. <laughs> Hi, I'm Allison Gam, the designer of Quilts and More, and I have a scary story to share for you. Um, when I was making an APQ quilt, um, Star Bright, Star White was published in 2016. I fell in love with it and knew I had to make it. Instead of making the full quilt, which is nine blocks, I decided to make four of them and turn it into a wall hanging. 
So I had a lot of fabric cut, and then I was reading through the instructions to figure out how much background white fabric I needed and realized I did not have enough fabric. So we were at a retreat. I panicked, went to the quilt shop, bought a bunch more white fabric, got back up to the retreat center, cut it all into these triangles that I needed, and then realized, no, that was the amount for nine blocks, not four. So even to this day, I have all of these white fabrics cut into triangles. So I guess if you can take advice from this, read your instructions and make sure if you're not making it the same size to double check your math. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Stumbo, the designer for American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine, and I'm here to share with you a horror story um, for quilting. So my sister, first of all, you need to know that she loves Christmas, like loves Christmas. She starts watching Christmas movies in July and listening to the Christmas music early. So she decided she wanted to make a Christmas quilt. So she made this really cute Christmas quilt and she put red, solid red fabric on the backing. Well, I saw that her dog had gotten sick on the quilt. And so I decided I was going to be a kind sister and wash this for her. So I took her quilt and I put it in the washer. Now, normally I would throw in some shout color catchers, but we didn't have any on hand. So I was like, oh, I'll just put it in cold water. It'll be fine. It was not fine. <laughs> it bled. And so she got home that day and all of the white fabrics were this not happy cream color. She was not happy with me. So um, that's my little horror story. And it was just made especially bad because it wasn't even my own quilt. Hello, everyone. I'm Joanna, the editor of Quilts and More magazine, and getting in the Halloween spirit, I'm going to tell you all a scary story. So one dark and stormy night in winter in Northern California, so it was lightly raining, I was sitting at a friend's dining room table teaching her how to use a sewing machine. Whenever you change the machine's presser foot or switch to a different stitch, I warned her, you should always manually lower and raise the needle a few times to make sure the needle isn't hitting where it shouldn't. She took my words of caution to heart, nodded solemnly, and sat down to sew. Things were going okay, so I let her be. Soon it was time to change to a zigzag stitch, but her needle had become unthreaded. I took control of the machine, deftly re-threading the needle and positioning the, the fabric. Here, I'll get you started, I said. Bang! went the needle, and the machine made this grinding noise. She jumped, and I jumped, and I might have screamed, and then I left. Uh, so I forgot to change out the presser foot, and lo and behold, the needle snapped in two, and the bottom half got pulled into the machine, and I had to try and fish it out, and it was awkward. And to be fair, I had warned her, but I hadn't warned myself. So I should have followed my own advice. Always check where your needle is going to land. My sewing machine wasn't harmed, and no fingers were maimed in the telling of this Halloween horror story. Every quilter has a nightmare quilting story to share. Feel free to email us yours at apqpodcast at meredith.com. We'll be back after this quick ad break. I'm back with Joanna for Back to Basics, a segment where we share tips and tricks about a sewing tool or technique. So Joanna, what are we learning today? So with Halloween just around the corner, things are getting kind of spooky around the office. And what's spookier than when the dye in your quilt bleeds? Okay, sorry, I'll stop with that. But I feel like it needs a dun-dun 
done. <laughs> um, really, though, there's nothing worse than finishing a project and you put so much work into it and then the dye runs. So I'm going to share with you two of my favorite tips for keeping the colors from running in your finished quilt after you wash it. Because, again, there's just nothing worse than drips of blood red dye on your pristine white pieces. Perhaps it's a no-brainer, but the first tip is to pre-wash your fabrics. I almost never pre-wash my fabrics. I feel like I have to have a little confessional right here. But uh, how about you, Lindsay? Yeah, I've never pre-washed my fabrics before. But as uh, all of you heard earlier, many of us in the office have had some disastrous experiences with some of our quilts and fabric bleeding. Yes, I uh, I have too, sadly. So it's always a good idea to pre-wash dark fabrics, especially reds. Red fabric really likes to run when you wash it. So um, I find it happens a lot with Christmas quilts because that's usually when I'm using a lot of red and you don't think about it because you're only pulling it out once in a while. But uh, yeah, pre-washing helps. As soon as you buy that red fabric, my local quilt shop suggests just throwing it in the wash and then storing it so you don't forget. The second tip is to use a shout color catcher. Uh, it's like a dryer sheet that you can put in with your quilt when you wash it and it catches all the loose dye that comes out of your fabric. It's a miracle worker, let me tell you. Uh, there are some other products on the market that also help with catching dyes, such as Retain for fabric before you cut it and piece it, and Sithropol, which is for use after a quilt is pieced. I might have pronounced those names wrong, so um, forgive me if I did. I don't have to say them out loud very often, but we'll put a link in the show notes that you can go find those products if you're interested in trying them out. For this week's Ask Us Anything, we're answering a question from Joanne Kaufman. She asked, I'm getting ready to sew some Christmas presents with cute panel prints. What are some tips for sewing with panels? Great question, Joanne. We know that panels are so popular during the holidays because they help you finish fast. Panels come in a variety of sizes, and the original artwork is designed with straight edges, but the printing and finishing processes can sometimes throw the lines out of alignment. Panels can be easily squared up though, so here are a few tips to make that happen. First, try stretching the panel along the bias in the opposite direction if the panel is very wonky. So whatever way it's kind of leaning, pull it on the diagonal in the other direction to square it up. You can also fussy cut the panel by wiggling the panel into place along the ruler lines and cutting each side separately. So when you add fabrics to the panel, measure through the center lengthwise and add the same length of border to both sides, and then measure through the center widthwise and add the same length of border to the top and bottom. This will help to square up the panel. And you can always sew with the panel on top so you can make sure that it's straight and you can shift the fabric as needed. So hopefully these tips can help you square up your panel prints before you get started on those projects. Next is Reader Tips, a segment where we share your best quilting advice to common struggles. This week we'll explore a few tips for hand quilting. So this first tip comes from Wanda Pelfrey of Adairsville, Georgia. She says, being thrifty and a hand quilter, I cut the fingertips from old rubber gloves to use on the thumb of the same hand as my thimble. The extra bit of traction makes hand quilting so much easier. Martha Jean Long of Blysville, Arkansas says, 
When I'm hand quilting, I poke my needle in the fabric before I thread it. This way, the needle is less likely to move, which saves me time and effort. Kit Brenner of Bourne, Texas says, as a hand quilter, I mark my quilting patterns with chalk because it is easier to remove. However, I could only mark a few inches at a time because the chalk rubs off easily. Now I mark a large area with chalk, then spray it with starch, letting it dry thoroughly before quilting. The marks brush off with a clean, dry toothbrush, but not when my hand rubs against the fabric as I'm quilting. Barbara Williams of Mansfield, Ohio says, when I'm hand quilting an area that is long and open, I cut my thread twice as long as normal. I take one stitch and pull the needle through until the ends are even. I quilt in one direction using the thread end with the needle. Then I pick up the loose end, re-thread the needle, and quilt in the other direction. This way, I have one less knot in my work. Those are some great tips. We love hearing these ideas from our readers. If you're interested in submitting your own tip for feature in our magazines or on the podcast, send an email of your tip to apqtips at meredith.com. We'll be back after this quick ad break. Welcome to Getting Social with Jess. I'm your host, Jess Ziegler. Today, I'm bringing in my conversation with Andrea Sang Jackson. Andrea is a dearly beloved Canadian quilter who has a new book out with Lucky Spool called Patchwork Lab Gemology, Transforming Fabrics into Facets. It's available wherever you buy books. Um, you can find her on social media and her website, too, um, under Third Story Workshop, and that is using the numeral three. Um, she has some really awesome patterns available at her Etsy shop, too, so check those out. There's a gorgeous swan slash lone star pattern that you just kind of have to see to believe, and a very cute napping fox block. <laughs> so um, do yourself a favor and check out her patterns. Um, here's my conversation with Andrea. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Could you give us a little bit of a background of your personal life and your quilting life? Sure. I live in um, Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, way on the East Coast um, on the Atlantic Ocean. I have two boys uh, and we live here. We moved here seven years ago. We love it here. It's beautiful. Um, the ocean is just a calming force and a you know, turbulent force at some times. <laughs> some yeah. too. Incurring her, in, including hurricane season. But I started quilting seriously about three and a half, actually almost four years ago. So the beginning of 2016. Um, before that, I had made a quilt for each of my babies. And then, so it's two quilts and then a couple of simple Patrick ones. Um, but when I joined my local Modern Quilt Guild, was when I kind of got serious about it. And that was the beginning of 2016. Oh, you're so new still. And that just impresses me that you've just dug in. Do you have an art background? I don't. I have a design background. So I studied architecture. Um, okay. Yeah, and this kind of turn in my career was very unexpected. Um, <laughs> you know, the trajectory of somebody my age, I, I guess I'm a cusp millennial, I'd like to call myself. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, my professional life looked very scattered. Also very, there's a, definitely a thread line of, of design and education that was intentionally kind of dotted throughout all of my experiences. When I had my first baby, um, I was off for at least a year. I was already freelancing. So I kind of had my own timeline that I could, I didn't really have a job to go back to. I could just 
start whenever I wanted to again. So I had made him a quilt and then I got busy with life. You know, you have a baby, then you have a toddler, then you have another kid, so then you have a baby and a toddler. It's all just, you know, it's all a blur. Yes. <laughs> so I hadn't planned on, I didn't, I didn't do much work while they were very little. But when my younger one was two-ish, two and a half, he was going to be going to preschool in the fall. And I love working, so I want to work, but I yeah. want to be able to kind of mold my time around what they need and what the, our family needs right now. So my husband was like, you know, he's a smart guy. He was, he was like, you know, with your architecture background, like you could make quilt patterns because you like this quilting thing. You've made a few quilts and you love being in your sewing space or hauling out your sewing machine when <laughs> that was the, 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 my plate at the time. Um, you enjoy, enjoy quilting and design so you know it's not so different than what an architect does they make drawings and illustrations and verbal instructions for somebody else to build something so yeah I was like that would that sounds good so then I had to go find my customers so I went to my first modern quilt guild meeting and that's kind of where my quilting life kind of burgeoned I started with those gemstones my first gemstones I ended up producing a lot of gemstones and then a year later producing patterns for them and then kind of followed into some other things oh cool so let's talk about the gemstones now sure. that we're we're there. So what was it about? Was it the transparency playing with different values? Um, what made you attracted to that sort of theme? I think it was the geometry and the colors. Um, I think first of all was the geometry. I loved that foundation paper piecing could give you all these crazy shapes that you could never conceive of doing with a ruler and a rotary cutter. Yes. Uh, and so I thought it was really neat. So I, you know, kind of embarked on simplifying them so that I could actually make them and then simplifying them even further so that somebody else could make them. And the transparency came as part of the teaching of it or the, the patterns because I wanted people to be able to get that effect. So kind of delve into color and how you know your background color influences the colors of fabric that you choose you know the contrast of dark to light and things like that it was really fascinating and I love I love talking about color I don't wear a lot of color or um, decorate with a lot of color but I do like playing with color and mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. How soon after you started quilting did you discover foundation paper piecing? Because I feel like that's something that people can quilt for a long time and just kind of avoid that part. But I love that you embraced and saw all the potential that there is for foundation paper piecing. It was right at the beginning because I was like, well, what can I do that's different, that's not confined to a grid? And how do I get these gemstones to work? And that was basically it. I had just... I was like, let's research this. How do I figure this out? So it was pretty much right away. And yeah, it was really nice. It's, the foundation paper piecing is really nice because you can kind of jump into it at any point and then like leave it if you have to in a hurry, which I did, you know, like I had small children. So yeah, there it was. it's great because you don't, you don't have to set yourself up in a certain way or in some sort of assembly to be able to just leave it behind for a few minutes and come back and do a five minute little session. So that was appealing to me too. Sure. I never thought about that either, but you're totally right. Yep. Okay, so your book, you're a first time author, right? Mm -hmm, I am. Okay. Well, this is really exciting because gemstones factor heavily into the book. It's all about gemstones or tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the book is 
called uh, Patrick Lab Gemology. So it's nine different shapes of gemstones from your like pear cut to round to like a marquise cut, um, all these different gemstone shapes. There's nine different shapes of blocks. You can scale them in four different sizes. And then there's some projects that you can uh, lay them out in. So I have always been drawn to jewelry design. I did take like a an extended studies class um, in my early adulthood um, on silversmithing. I never really got into gemstones, but jewelry design has always been kind of in my dream wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> so I was able to, in some of the projects, be able to make jewelry type designs with the gemstone uh, blocks, which was really fun because, you know, fabric costs a bit less than actual gemstones. So <laughs> I, could, I could make the blingiest necklace out of a fabric. Yeah. So that the book is all centered on gems, gemstones and foundation paper piecing and how I approach foundation paper piecing. I don't use a light box or pre-cut anything. So I love having everything together in that one in this one publication where people can see how I do FPP and then how I approach color and then have these projects to work on. Oh, that's really great. I love that you just said your technique is a little bit different. And so do you find like when you're teaching people who have already done foundation paper piecing one way, what do they think about your method? Or is it a easy transition? Or how has it been accepted? It's a lot easier for beginners to learn from learn foundation paper piecing because they don't have any preconceived ideas about how it should go so they just do what I tell them to do and it works out fine Um, (laughs) perfect (laughs) with some people with more experience they also listen to me and they when they follow the instructions they love how efficient it can be and how they don't actually they don't really make the mistake of cutting something too small um, fabric people are always like that's my biggest mistake I always cut the piece of fabric too small and the my my method you just don't cut it for at first anyway so so you always have enough and there's a way that I show people how to make sure they have enough fabric for the shape that they want because with the gemstones none of the shapes are really repeated necessarily you know there's some paper piecing patterns that have a repeated shape so you can pre-cut generally the area that you need and they're the same same shapes over and over and over again but with these gemstones they're just it's anybody's guess what the next shape is gonna be um, yes it's pretty fun to to watch people kind of have it click and be like oh I don't need to like fiddle around or think too hard about what's the front and what's the back Um, it's really people overthinking it that that's when they kind of mess up yeah I hear that do you have any personal like takeaways about what the experience was like writing your first book yeah um when I took the project on I I was um I'm published with Lucky Spool I knew it was going to be kind of a crunched timeline which I'm I'm totally okay with that I think you know some people say oh you're so crazy like you did all your stuff in four months I was like yeah but quilters are kind of like a brand of crazy like we kind of (laughs) put ourselves through these things but with this very rewarding thing at the end so I was totally okay with that. Um, I was really happy about the amount of control I had over the design of the book. It was really um, up to me how I wanted to structure it. Suzanne of Lucky Spool, she's really great at letting her author's voices show through. So, you know, I, I handed over a design brief to her and the team of contractors that she pulled together really just nailed the way that I wanted the vision of my book to be. There's a lot of ways that gemstones can go. They can be very maximalist, blingy, maybe even mystical. But my aesthetic is very much more clean, Ikea-like even. So they were really able to kind of give it a minimal feel, even though it was really about these these gemstones. That's wonderful. I love that. I can tell that you're very organized and... (laughs) 
love that. You had recently asked me to participate as a sponsor in the party in the back. And so I want to I want to move into that area really quickly because you just did a fantastic job laying it out. And so for those who don't know, Andrea hosted um, party in the back on Instagram. And that was a really fun type community building. I, I have my uh, air quotes going because well, digital communities are real. <laughs> And a lot of people really enjoyed featuring the backs of their quilts. So could you tell us how that idea came around and how people can access and look to see the online event that you created? Yeah. So in the summer, I took a social media break. I was still posting and stuff, but I wouldn't have myself scheduled for like posting every day because I just needed a break because yep. people need breaks from things like that. So Amen. <laughs> yeah. In July, I just, I don't know how the idea came to me, but I knew that I had quilt backs that I really loved and wanted to show them. And, and you know, you're always looking as a business person, you're always looking for content to post where you don't have to make like an original, like a brand new quilt, because that's a ton of work for one post or even a block or, or something like that. So I was looking through my archives and I found some quilt facts that I really love. And you know, when I do trunk shows and things, you know, when you show people the back, they gasp just as loudly as it when they see the front. So I thought, what a great thing to pull out of the woodwork um, and have people showcase what they do for their backs. You know, when I was looking into the modern quilt movement, you know, whatever, however many years ago, one of the markers of, of a modern quilt is a pieced back. So I know that a lot of modern quilters even and traditional quilters are like, you know, we have to make our backings as big, big enough <laughs> for, for the fronts of our quilts. So there's some sort of thing that goes on, some sort of creativity that flows into the backs of our quilts. And I loved how people just jumped on board with this event. So I decided to structure this with a five-day event where every day you could post, or however many, uh, this over this five-day period, you could post your quilt back with this hashtag party in the quilt back. And then you could see other people doing the same thing and then just be inspired on how you could further your work on your quilt backs. And I think there's a lot of observations that people made. A lot of people were like, oh, I didn't, I never document the backs of my quilt. So I'm going to start doing that. Or there are quilts for me that, you know, I was afraid to experiment on the front but on the back I felt a bit more freedom to um, just do whatever came to me and through that exercise I was able to create something new for the next quilt front that I, a quilt top that I was making so that kind of freedom to explore and daringness that you can have on the back so there was a lot of cool things like I was hoping I don't know what I was hoping for I just wanted to build the community that way and make it a real party I know there's such a lively and uh, caring and generous community on, on Instagram in quilting so I wanted to capitalize on on that and really just allow people to to exchange ideas for that period so I you know I tried to be the best it was like hosting a real life party but it just lasted a long time <laughs> but, <laughs> were you exhausted yeah. at the end <laughs> I, I was because I tried to um like you try to say hi to everybody so you try I went to the hashtag and tried to like and comment on as many posts as I could in a day I missed kind of the overnight ones um, if somebody was in the like an opposite time zone to me, sure. but yeah, there was the door prizes. Thank you, Jess, for sponsoring. Um, sure. So you know, so it was kind of like a real party. It was trying to be a good party host, uh, and you were. <laughs> it was so popular and so successful, and just so much fun. 
Party yeah. was the right word for it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was. I didn't know what I was hoping for, but at the end of the first day, I had over a hundred. There was over a hundred posts on the uh, hashtag, but by the end oh of the first gosh. day, we had 650. And then people are still using the hashtag now, which I'm really pleased about. So it's going to live on. People keep adding to uh, the bank of quilt backs that we can look at and uh, be inspired by. It's just it's really mind blowing. Yes, it was such a popular event, and people can still, like you said, participate and check out all of the entries that have been posted and that's hashtag party in the quilt back yeah is that right okay <laughs> yes uh i you might know that the the hashtag was in, inspired by a mullet hashtag right party, <laughs> yeah. in, party in the back yeah <laughs> so, i just but, assume that everyone knows that. yeah i don't know if everybody knows but yeah <laughs> I love it. Um, so what's next for you? I have some really exciting art projects coming up. I've th been thinking a lot about in the last three years since I started my, my business slash practice, what I like doing and what I don't like doing and what, all the things I want to do. And I want to do all the things. I think <laughs> a lot of us have, have that condition. <laughs> yep. So there are some art projects that I would love to do, kind of delve deep into. And so I am working on a project with the Nova Scotia Museum Collection. So um, I'm working with the curator there in the historic collection, textiles collection, and she's helping me to bring out some old historic quilts. And then I will look at them with another artist and we're going to make new works um, inspired by the old quilts. Really, these these historic quilts, I don't think that some of them are quite nothing extraordinary in terms of technique or color placement or design or anything. But really, in a museum like that, it's really about the stories um, that bring about these quilts. So I'm really excited about delving into that. And then I have this cultural cross-cultural exchange that I'm doing with some Scottish craftspeople. So there there's four of them coming to Halifax uh, this month. We will work with them in residence for a week. And then we well, there's four of us in Nova Scotia that will go to Scotland and work with them over there. So they're all in different disciplines. There's ceramics, uh, textiles, jewelry design. And yeah, it's really exciting. To, I, I love working across disciplines and I think it's going to be really fun. It sounds like an explosion of creativity just waiting to happen. Yep. That's cool. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed uh, visiting with you and I'm just so excited you're just at the beginning of your quilting timeline and can't wait to see what the rest, you know, how that unfolds. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much to Andrea for giving us a peek into her quilting life, where she's been, where she's going. It's all so very exciting. Um, her book was just released this month, so be sure to check that out. Um, otherwise, I'm Jess. Thanks so much for listening to the interview. It is always so much fun for me to talk to the quilt makers and artists that inspire me. Um, I'm easy to get a hold of on Instagram at Threaded Quilting. Just send me a message and let me know you listened. Until next time, have a great week. Hey everyone, before we leave today, I just want to mention a really great subscription offer that we have just for our podcast listeners. So our podcast listeners can get 60% off a year subscription to American Patchwork and Quilting. So if that's on your Christmas list this year, we suggest taking advantage or uh, telling your gift buyers about it um, so they can visit our show notes to find all the info.